0: Well, have you ever been part of an organisation, or perhaps been aware of one, that has had a branding problem? Some of them can be a little bit funny. When an organisation wants to convey one message, but their audience picks up on a different message. When that happens, you have a branding problem. Uh, Those of us here who are in communications or graphic design or marketing, you know how easily this can happen and sometimes you don't even see it coming. We're not going to ask you to confess to any of your mistakes that you might have made, but remember this one? The Bible Society, Cooper's Beer Keep It Light campaign uh, from last year, the Bible Society wanted to convey a message that we can have sensible conversation about important topics and keep it light, be relaxed over a beer. But the audience picked up on a different message, Um, uh, picked up that somehow Coopers were supporting a campaign against same-sex marriage and there were boycotts and there were beer bottles being smashed and there were retractions and all kinds of statements and even if you jump on the Bible Society website today to see this video, well, the audio is there, but the video is gone, so you can't see the labels, labels on the beer bottles that belong to Cooper's. That was a branding problem. Most big companies have had a branding problem at some stage or the other, where they've wanted to be known by one thing, but they are known for something else. Now, let's move from big business and organisation, and think about ourselves. The church. I think we have a branding problem. It's supposed to be upside down and back to front. We have a branding problem. Because the church, globally, nationally, locally, even New Life Church, is recognised for the wrong thing. You'll have an idea, in your mind, what you wish that church be known for. What you wish that new life be known for in the wider Gungahlin community. What you wish the church in Australia be known by. What you wish the church would be known by and recognised by globally. You have that in your own minds. My observation is that the church, including our own church here, is known for something else other than what you have in your mind. The church is known as a bunch of do-gooders, a bunch of moral hypocrites, people who say one thing and pretend to live in one way while criticising other people for living that way. Uh, The church are deluded deists who believe in some kind of fluffy supreme being out there. The church are fundamentalists and dangerous. Church is outdated. Are you with me in this observation? That we might want the church to be recognised for one thing, and we'll recognise somewhere else. A little while ago, uh, we were phoned up by one of our local colleges, uh, who, as part of their religious studies program, needed to visit religious buildings and talk to religious leaders. Uh, I categorise as a religious leader, apparently, Um, though right through the whole New Testament, those who are called religious leaders are usually the bad guys. So anyway, we had this group of 15 and 16-year-olds come and visit our church building just on the other side there, nothing particularly religious looking about it, Uh, so I thought I would share about that local history of New Life Church, 25 years or so, and what God has done and what God is doing among us. But as you kick off, nervous as I was, uh, with a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds, I thought we'd get to know each other a little bit and just have a chat and share each other. So I just threw it open to question uh, as I introduced myself, is there anything you want to ask me about getting to know who I am and me? I wasn't dressed in any kind of fancy religious garb that they might have been expecting and especially having heard about the other religious buildings that they had uh, visited, I stood out as being quite different. The very first question, hands shot up, was this. Do you do gay weddings or are you a bigot? (laughs) I have a branding problem. The church has a branding problem. New Life has a branding problem. What is our brand? What image do we present and want to present to the community round about us? When our community sees new life, what do we want them to see? When our community hears about new life, what do we want them to hear? Well, John 13 challenges us as a church and individually to review our branding. As we are people who line our lives up with Jesus' glory, we're called to a brand that represents extravagant service. You see, lining our lives up with Jesus' glory is more than being a nicer person. It's more than making the world a better place. It's more than contributing to the community about us. Lining our lives up with Jesus' glory starts with being served by Jesus. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples as he washes their feet. He serves them. Now it's important as we keep going through this part of John's Gospel to remember the context. Passover is going on, the annual celebration and remembrance of God's rescue of His people from Israel and they remember that annually by the symbolic sacrificing, sacrifice of a, of a lamb in their place. Jesus' death on the cross is going to happen in the midst of this. Now in the previous chapter, chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples were at a meal that was being held in honour of Jesus. In the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha had put this great feast on to celebrate and honour Jesus for raising their brother back to life from the dead. Now Jesus knows, and we know, there's no surprise about this, that Jesus is on his way to the cross where he will be glorified. Yet... Here in chapter 13, with all that context going on and all that honouring of Jesus and an expectation of glorifying of Jesus, Jesus is the one doing the service. See there in verse 1? Let's read it again. Chapter 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world... He now showed them the full extent of his love. A more literal translation of that is he showed them his love to the limit. If you're a rev head, he redlined it on the dial. And if the projector was working properly, you'd see lots of red on there. Um, I'll have to fill in the colored blanks that are happening today. The context here is Jesus is going to show his love redlining. But in the background is the religious leader's plot to kill Jesus. And that plot thickens here as we hear about the role of the devil. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, one of Jesus' disciples... Remember the keeper of the money bag that we read about in chapter 12? The devil had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Yet though this plot's going on, though Judas is involved in it, though the devil himself is there, (coughs) Jesus is the one who is directing the action according to the plans of his father. Verse 3... Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. That's Jesus' power, not Judas' power, not not the devil's power, not the religious leader's power, not my and all your power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that He, Jesus, had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus serves his disciples by doing the menial job that was usually done by a non-Jewish slave. It was the worst job to do in the house. (coughs) Washing uh, washing dirty feet. The unusual nature of Jesus doing this is obvious by Peter's objection. Jesus, you... You you cannot wash, are you going to wash my feet? No, you shouldn't wash my feet. Yet Jesus is doing more than just washing feet here. This is symbolic of an even more extravagant service that Jesus will do, that he will cleanse, wash his disciples of sin by his death on the cross. Now, many of us, we'll be quite familiar with this foot washing incident, perhaps you've seen it re-enacted, perhaps you've been part of a a, a church at some stage where you then took off your shoes and socks and washed each other's uh, feet, we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, We have read this morning and we'll be very familiar with the treasured words that, that come later on of what Jesus says after He does this for His disciples. I was reading this uh, passage uh, we, at, at a committee of management meeting uh, this week that I had up in, in Goulburn. We read through this chapter, as we usually do read through with people the chapter before we uh, preach on it, and I was barely through reading and the, the, the meeting broke out into singing. A new commandment I give unto you. Th- there are treasured words and, 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 and memories here for us. But before we get into the words of that song, which were originally words that Jesus said, it's important we get this right. Jesus didn't come to make us more loving. Jesus didn't come to make us love one another. Jesus didn't come to teach us to one love one another. Jesus came Himself to serve, to give His life life, to deal with sin, so that we might have life. And so the starting point for us in, in thinking about these verses, in working out how we might respond to them, the starting point with Jesus is being served by Him. Have you been served by Jesus? Can you picture, can you imagine Jesus washing your feet. It's not an image we're so familiar with. Some of us have perhaps been to uh, the, the, the uh, pedicure places where you sit up in the seat and you put your feet out. I haven't been to one um, but I kind of can't imagine Jesus in there doing things with people's feet. I once this is burnt in my memory from nearly 20 years ago, had a foot wash and a foot massage and that made me feel really uncomfortable. So so it's kind of a little bit hard to picture, imagine Jesus serving us by washing our feet. How about you try this? When was the last time you were hit by a vomit bug? If you live with other people, when was the last time that the whole house went down? you just feel a little bit queasy even about thinking it, you just want to get those Pino Clean wipes and put it across your hands right now. Well, try this, think about Jesus serving, He is the one holding the vomit bucket, He's the one emptying it, He's the one on the mops cleaning the floor, He's the one washing sheets and towels... As Jesus got down on the floor to wash His disciples' dirty feet, that is the kind of menial, dirty, gross service that Jesus did for them, to point them to the greater service of laying down His life on the cross. Now you know how messy your sin is. You know how gross it is. As, as, as gross as what turns up in a vomit bucket. The, the mess of your sin is something that you don't want anyone else to see or to know about. And Jesus is the one who cleans it up. Has He cleaned it up for you? Is He cleaning it up for you? Have you had the guilt and the shame and the offence of your sin dealt with by Jesus? Have you been washed by Him? You see, to line our lives up with Jesus and His glory starts with being served by Him. Now as Jesus does this incredible act of service, pointing forwards to the cross, the presence of Judas there unsettles us. Judas shows us that it's possible to be up close with Jesus and not be truly served by Him. In that room that night, Judas' feet were with Jesus but his heart was with Satan. And he shows us that if we won't be wholly served by Jesus, we will be enslaved to Satan... There's no joy in this for Jesus, even though, as we read in verse 3, that He knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that all things were being worked out according to His good plans and purposes for the glory of Jesus. There's no joy in this for Jesus. See over in verse 18? I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen... But this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me, a, a sign of contempt to show your foot at somebody. I'm telling you now before it happens, so when it does happen you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled In his spirit and he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus is unsettled by Judas' presence and what is going on in Judas and as we read on we're told that when Judas leaves it was night, darkness has come. Remember Jesus is coming into the darkness as the light to bring the light of life and here we see that the darkness of the world opposed to Jesus is closing in. Though, as Judas goes, we see that Jesus' disciples are clean. From this point on, Jesus focuses his attention on his 11 disciples. He kind of pulls them into a, a close huddle, he grabs his key combat leaders not to sit around and sing Kumbaya, but He's giving them the final instructions for the dangerous mission that is ahead. The darkness is closing in. Jesus is soon to be betrayed and arrested and tried and beaten and crucified and will die, will rise but will leave them in the world for a dangerous mission. In these coming chapters, the focus is is on preparing them for this mission. And the first message that Jesus is going to give them is about their brand, what they'll be known by, how they will be recognized that they are on Jesus' mission, that they belong to Him. Now in the Greek-Roman culture, round about Round about them, the leadership brand that stood out in those days was courage and success. If you wanted to rally your troops, you would model courage. You would urge them to be courageous. You would talk about success. You would tell your troops all about your success and urge them to be as successful as you have been as their leader. What stands out as a brand today? In leadership, who do you want to be like as a business leader? What celebrities, be it a movie or music, sports heroes, people that you admire who are not famous? Why are you impressed by them? Well, Jesus' brand, by example and command, is humility, love and service. Turn back with me, please, to verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes and returned to His place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And then over in verse 34, Jesus says, "A new command I give you: love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As soon as we've been served by Jesus, as soon as his disciples have been served by Jesus, he calls them and us to connect in with other believers in serving them. And this is a new command that Jesus gives them. It's not a new thing for him to tell them to love one another. Right through the entire Old Testament, God's people were to be marked out by people who loved God and loved their neighbour as themselves. That's not what is new. What is new about this command is to love like Jesus. It's to love in a way that serves It's the love in a way that lays down your life for the sake of another. It's the love in a way that loves to the limit. It's to redline it with love and service for others. This is the brand for Jesus' disciples. This is the brand for those who will belong to Jesus. This is the brand for those who are going to line their lives up with Jesus' glory. A couple of hundred years after Jesus lived, there was a guy named Tertullian, lived in the 2nd, 3rd century AD, who became a Christian and at one time he quoted a pagan Roman who was struck by what he saw in the Christians round about them. He said this, behold how these Christians love each other, how ready they are to die for each other. Around about the same era, Justin Martyr testifies about the Christian community that he belonged to. He says, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ... We live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Isn't this the kind of life that we want for ourselves? Is this how we want the world to recognise us? The brand we want to have? Now it's important, very important, that we stand for clear truth. Even that we risk being called a bigot. It's important that we articulate clear morals and ethics... That are aligned to God's ways. But the core part of our brand, we can ramp it up a bit, I think. We can redline a bit more on our loving service of one another in such a way that the world sees it and knows that we're Jesus' disciples. Everyone who lines their life up with Jesus will be taken over by an ongoing attitude of love that is expressed in acts of service. What we need is a new life game plan to address our branding problem. If you're a sports fanatic and you're interested in the plays and the way it works out, the game plans, let me introduce you to the new life game plan. I'm going to call it the Life Plan Plan. 1-1-1 111 for going out into the world this week. You can write it on your wrist or your strapping if you need be. It's life plan 111. Goes like this. One deliberate act of service to one believer that makes you look like a disciple of Jesus to one unbeliever, one, 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 one deliberate act of service this week to one believer that makes you look like a disciple of Jesus to one unbeliever. It's one deliberate act, it's something that you've planned out, that you've been prayerful about, it, that flows out of your attitude of serving like Jesus. It's one deliberate act, it's directed towards one believer. You might like to start with your family members or a friend. Make that your life plan this week and then as the weeks go on, reach out to other believers round about you so that you look like a disciple of Jesus to one unbeliever. Now, we're not doing this to be seen but think about how your service will be perceived. Will that person see that you're somebody who loves like Jesus, that you are redlining it in service? Are you serving in a way where it'll change the brand perception, being extravagant like Jesus? One, 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 life plan, one one one. One deliberate act of service to one believer that makes you look like a disciple of Jesus to one unbeliever. Now here's a prayer that'll help us live this out. Uh, Mother Teresa, Uh, Mother Teresa, a a Catholic nun and missionary who served most of her life uh, amongst uh, poor people in the slums of Kolkata in in India, the same city where Jane coming to do curry with a twist, where he grew up. (coughs) Mother Teresa had this daily prayer that helped her serve the poor. And it went like this, Dearest Lord, may I see you today and every day in the person of your sick and whilst nursing them, minister unto you. Though you hide yourself behind the unattractive disguise of the irritable, the exacting, the unreasonable, may I still recognise you and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. Mother Teresa saw and served some very sick people, people who could have made her very sick, people who would have made her feel uncomfortable and she sought to see Jesus in them so that she might serve them. As she described those people while she was talking about sick people, do you think she could just as readily be describing Christians round about us? We might not have... Contagious diseases and illnesses, but riddled with sin. We're just as irritable, unreasonable, sick. It's hard to serve one another like Jesus has served us. and So maybe we can take this prayer as our prayer for ourselves, our daily prayer, that with God's help and Jesus' example before us, we might live out Life Plan 111. Will you please join me in praying this for ourselves? Our dearest Lord Jesus, today and across this week and in the weeks to come, we pray... May we see you, today and every day, in the person of your sick, those of us who are sick with sin. And whilst we nurse them, while we seek to serve them, may we minister unto you, Lord Jesus. Though you hide yourself behind the unattractive disguise of the irritable, the exacting, the unreasonable people just like us, May we recognise you and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have served us and loved us to the limit. Help us to love and serve like you have served us. For your glory we pray, Amen.